0: An act of pure evil. An act of pure evil. This was said by a president. I won't tell you which one. uh, But on October 1st, 2017, a president said of something that took place, this was an act of pure evil. What the president was referring to was a man named Stephen Paddock in Las Vegas stood in his hotel room and sniped 59 people in an evening. For seemingly no reason. Surely there was a reason in his his heart, but the only thing that that we could figure out is that it was an act of pure evil. Now another president, President Lincoln, said this was an act of justice. Now Abraham Lincoln said this of something that happened December 26 in 1862 when 38 people were hanged in Minnesota They were responsible for killing about 490 people in North Dakota and so this was the largest mass execution that's ever happened in the United States that we know about. So 38 were hanged that day and President Lincoln said that this was an act of justice. Two presidents, two big groups of people that were killed but two opposite opinions, perspectives on what happened. So the question rises up, who gets to determine what is evil and what is just? Because some of you might be thinking that, man, that was evil, what happened in 1862. And maybe some of you are thinking, I don't know why, but that it was just for Stephen Paddock to do what he did in Las Vegas. Probably he thought it was just for him to do. So who actually gets to determine what is evil and what is just? Is evil this invention that we as humanity have created as part of our evolutionary process to kind of make ourselves okay with this thing that shows up in huge ways every once in a while? Or is evil an actual objective moral category that we have to deal with? So I have four questions this morning. Uh, we're going we're to be in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible as you're leaving today, please take one. It's not stealing. If you take a Bible on one of those tables. It's our gift to you. But I realize that it's dark in here. Some of you don't have a Bible. So I'm going to put the verses up on the screen uh, for you this morning. But here are the four questions that I'm going to be after. What is evil? How did evil arrive? What can be done about evil? And then number four, how can we live with evil? How can we live With evil, So we'll get right to work. This is a lot to do in a short amount of time. And I'll just say this. Some of you are hoping for this uber intellectual, deep, long response to each one of these questions. And as Bob Dylan said, that ain't me, babe. Like, I'm just not going to do that this morning because we don't have time. Each one of these questions is a 45 to 50 minute sermon minimum, right? So we're going to be skimming the surface on a lot of this. So, if you want more resources in how to explore some of these questions, I would love to point you to them, but we have a lot of work to do, and we got to be out of here at a certain time. So, question number one, what is evil? What is evil? If you were to read the Bible, you would find out that the Bible is stunningly, shockingly accurate in its portrayal of, of evil. The Bible is not a, a book where God showcases his good little religious people, Instead, God showcases evil. He showcases the evil inside of the hearts over and over and over again of people that he said, these are my people, I'm for them, yet their hearts still show up with evil. So I would encourage you, if you've never read the Bible, please do so for nothing less than to see a very shockingly accurate picture of what evil looks like. But I think what you're also going to find, in fact, I know you're going to find that it's going to give you a very accurate picture of what goodness looks like as well. So you're going to get to see goodness and evil. So what I want to do this morning is I want to propose God's view. I know you're you're coming in here with a certain view of the world, how it works, uh, answers or non-answers to the questions that maybe you, if you're a student, you've worked through this week with Relevant McGill. Uh, If you're a doctor, lawyer, teacher, stay-at-home mom, you have the same questions still. Maybe they're just not addressed in the same way. But the Bible's going to deal with these questions. I want to propose God's view. Why? Why? Why do I want to propose God's view? Because here are the waters that we swim in. You hear the word tolerant. um, You hear the word safe space. And I'm not saying that safe space is a bad thing in and of itself. But we've, we've developed this thing as a, as a culture that if you say anything that I don't think is right, oh, I don't feel safe anymore. But yet that feeling actually goes against the mainstream thought that our culture tells us we should believe. We're a tolerant culture. The waters we should swim in should tolerate everyone. Everyone's ideas are equal at the table, right? That's what we say anyway, But then the moment that someone comes along and says something like, I don't believe that all views are equal. It's like, evil, remove them. Get them out of my space. Get them away from me. Because what I've done is I've created this little world where everyone is just right, everything's okay, everything's gonna end so well at the finish. So I wanna challenge that this morning. Because the worldview really breaks down. The tolerant worldview breaks down when evil shows up. Because you don't want to tolerate evil. I don't want to tolerate evil. We don't want to just say, well, that's Stephen Paddock's opinion. That's his right. That's his belief that he mowed down a bunch of people. If he wants to do that, that's fine. That's what the tolerant worldview actually should say. That's the end we should come to. So I just want to say there's flaws in that. And I want to propose a different view this morning. You can disagree with it, that's fine. I just want to present a different way of seeing things. Because I think that the Bible presents a worldview where evil exists. It doesn't try and shut itself away from it. Instead, it, it embraces evil. Not that it wants it, but it says this exists and here's what's going to happen with evil. Evil. So evil gets defined in the Bible. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to define what evil is. But the Bible doesn't start with evil. Hear me, the Bible doesn't start with evil. The Bible starts with good. So Genesis chapter 1, first chapter of the Bible, creation account. We believe that God created all things. You might disagree with that. I would say, okay, fine. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Maybe you can do what C.S. Lewis would call his people to do. Imagine that this were true. Imagine that this were true. Imagine that there was a God that could just create everything. So some of us are here, we believe that. Some of us are here, we don't believe it. But imagine. Here we go. Genesis 1, 31. God saw everything he had made. Behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. So God evaluates everything that he has done and he says, this is very good. What very good means is just that. Perfect, spotless, without blemish, without error. Everything is working according to its function and purpose. Everything has a value that it deserves. Everything is legit. It is good. It's very good. So goodness means that everything, everything is under God's perfect rule And reign. Everything is under God's perfect rule and reign. Some of you are here and you struggle with the idea of God being an authority, but the reality is is that you always have an authority. If you work at a job and you're not the CEO, there's an authority. Even if you are the CEO, there's an authority over you, making sure that you're not stealing money and doing bad things with your company. We try and shirk the authority that's given to us, but when there's good authority over us, Deep down, so many of us have dad issues because we longed for a dad that would love us, care for us, bring us in and be a good authority, not an abusive authority, not an absent authority, not one that relegated his authority to someone else, but one that would invite us in, sit with us and delight in us. We long for good authority in our lives. So this is what goodness is. Everything under God's perfect rule and reign. God is not a harsh dictator. God is a benevolent ruler that wants his goodness to ooze. I, I, I don't think ooze is goodness. So he wants it to blossom. There we go, better word. He wants it to blossom out of every place possible. He made humanity to enjoy him and creation. Enjoyment isn't antithetical to God. In fact, it describes God quite well. That God is a God of joy. God is a God of laughter. God is a God of happiness. He was eternally thrilled with who he was until he created. And he didn't lose him being thrilled with who he was. He was inviting us into the joy that he's had for all of eternity. So God wanted us to enjoy him forever. Do you get that? Listen to that again. God made us. And God wants us to enjoy him forever. This is how we set everything up at the beginning. Now, God gave a prohibition. I give prohibitions to my children all the time. Why? Because I want them to live. I want them to succeed. I want them to do well, right? My prohibitions aren't out of evil intent most of the time. I don't think my prohibitions are out of goodness and I want you to do well in life. My kids are now at an age where it's like, I have to explain things with the don't do that. It's kind of frustrating. I wish I could just say, don't do that still, but it's like, don't do that because when you get older, da da da. And it's like, but I'm not there yet. I'm like, but you will be there. Now be quiet. Cause I'm dad. Go away, go do something. God gave a prohibition because he wanted his creation to live. Listen to this prohibition, Genesis two fifteen to 17. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden. Think flourishing paradise, okay? Hawaii, without the volcano. Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, this is the first mention of evil in the Bible. Now, we're not far in. Genesis 1 and 2, second chapter. Okay, this is like, you know, first day, first few days, first whatever. First mention of evil. First mention of evil. Now, evil is like a parasite. Love me some parasites, right? It's like a leech. A leech needs something, a host, to suck onto. Parasites need something to attach themselves to. This is what evil is. Evil needs good to distort or misuse. Do you hear that? Evil needs good to distort or misuse. Goodness can exist without evil. Evil cannot exist without goodness. Think of cancer. We don't talk about like the little cancer ball bouncing around. We talk about cancer invading someone's body. It becomes traumatic and destructive, but cancer needs a body to actually latch onto. So what is evil? What is evil? Well, I'm going to describe it this way. That evil is sin. Evil is, is sin. Now, I'm not talking about a cultural sin. I'm talking about sin against God. God made us a certain way. He made us to function a certain way. And when we don't function that way, it's called sin. We miss the mark that God set for us. God said, it's all good. Enjoy everything. Don't eat of the tree. This tree in the middle of the garden, middle of your living room that you walk by every single day. And it looks like every other tree. But this one tree I said, don't eat from. That would be sin that will be when you miss the mark that I've given to you. So let me define evil. Evil is rebellion against God through the misuse of good. Rebellion against God through the misuse of good. Authority, we talked about that already. Authority is not bad. Authority is very good. When does authority become bad and evil? When abuse happens, right? Dad, Dad. Authority is supposed to be good, but when he abuses his authority, it becomes evil. Money can be a good thing. It it buys us what we need to, to survive. But when we use money to exploit people for our purposes, then it becomes evil. When we When we have a relationship with someone, that's a good thing. Being in a relationship is good. But when we exploit that person and use them for what we can get out of them, that becomes evil. So evil is a rebellion against God because everything, ultimately, we believe is God's. Money, house, food, job, degree, all this stuff is God's. Because without him, you wouldn't be here. And you wouldn't be able to function to accomplish any of the things that I just mentioned. So ultimately... Evil is a rebellion against God through the misuse of good. And what evil aims to do is it aims to replace God. Evil aims to replace God because we always need a God. Bob Dylan. This is the second time Bob Dylan's come up. I haven't listened to Bob Dylan in a really long time. It's amazing. Anyway, Bob Dylan had this song called, You Gotta Serve Somebody. And he said, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yeah, you're going to have to serve somebody, right? You've got to serve somebody. We're, we're set up to be servants. We're set up to have our eyes fixed on other things. And even if you think that you are the legit one that everyone should bow down and worship to, you always have your eyes fixed on someplace else or someone else that you want to be at or you want to be like. There's always something, this next level that you want to move to. So evil aims to replace God with another God. And you know what? In, in this first chapter, in the first few chapters of the Bible, this question, what is evil, is actually the question that humanity gets posed to them by this serpent, this snake. Now, I'm going to deal with that next week. Okay, next week, come on back, because we'll be talking about Satan, demons, and ghosts. Uh, that was my bedtime reading last night before I went to sleep. It was, on, it was on ghosts. very interesting reading. And I slept so well, I slept so well. So that, there's, if you have bad dreams, maybe just read about the things that cause bad dreams and they won't show up. It's like the two negatives make a positive. I don't know, back to this, back to this. What is evil was the question that was posed to humanity in the garden by Satan. We believe that there's a real the Satan, real the devil. We believe in that we'll talk about him next week but he wanted everyone to replace god because that's what he did in his heart he had replaced god he wanted to be god and he wanted to bring everyone with him have you ever been let go from something and instead of just owning that like maybe you didn't make the team or maybe you didn't make the play or maybe you didn't get the job and instead of just like leaving you're like what kind of destruction can i wreak reap wrong word, reap, on on this company, on this team, on this coach, right? And you're like, I'm bringing everyone with me. It's like, where are you taking them to? It's like, away from you. I can take them anywhere as long as they're away from you, as long as I can hurt you. And this is what we're going to see is the tactic of the enemy. He's not calling people to anything. He's calling them away from God. So the second question that we're going to deal with this morning is, How did evil arrive? What is evil? It's rebellion against God through the misuse of good. How did evil arrive? How did evil arrive? Because maybe you're here and you're saying, man, okay, if God is the evaluator, he comes and does his evaluation, his little home inspection of creation, and he says, you know what? Creation is good. Well, how did evil actually show up? How could evil exist in a good creation? Now, this is where it would take a long time to do all the explanations, so I'm going to give you the short version this morning, all right? Mark. Mark is a book in the New Testament. Francois read it to us this morning from Mark chapter 7. I want to highlight just a few verses, and then we're going to get back into the Genesis account. Mark 7, these are the words from Jesus. He says, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. What was going on was they were talking about like washed hands and certain foods. And if you you eat with unwashed hands, I mean, they didn't know about germs at that point. Jesus did because he made everything, but the others weren't doing that. And he wasn't giving them a biology talk at the point. So it's like no foods that you eat are defiling you by going inside of you. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And he wasn't talking about vomit or diarrhea. He was talking about actions. Okay, and here we go. 20 to 23. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, woman, this is humanity, okay, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality. That's just a nice um, junk drawer term for everything that's sexually defunct, out of whack from the way that God made it to be okay? Theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, good list. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So here's what Jesus is saying. We, almost everyone likes Jesus, right? Politicians want Jesus on their side. Uh, Kanye West. Is walking with Jesus now, it seems, but before he was singing songs about Jesus walks with me, Jesus be on my side. Right? Everyone wants to be able to claim Jesus. But Jesus says some of the harshest things that have ever been said. Because here's what Jesus says. If you can read through all this, here's what he says. You birthed evil. How did evil arrive? You. You're not safe. There's no place that you can get that's safe enough because you as an individual are not safe. We brought this onto to ourselves. This prohibition that was put onto humanity in the garden. in order to break it, it required a defiant action that was following a bent desire. Do you get this? Actions always follow a desire. So in order for, for humanity to actually defy what God had said, they had to desire to defy it first and then act accordingly. No one all of a sudden just falls into adultery. It's like, oh, how did you have an affair? It's like, I don't know. We ended on the copier, no clue. It's like, no, somehow that had to start within you. And somehow you had to, you had to think, ponder, what would this be like, even if it was a short amount of time? You had to embrace that reality and follow your desire into an action. Now, if God made us, here might be the argument. If God made us, wouldn't he be the one that's evil? Evil started in us, okay, fine. But ultimately, if God made us, then he would have been evil. Or at least he wouldn't be all knowledgeable and all powerful. I mean, that's how the argument goes. Uh, I want to just share with you a quote uh, this morning from uh, Simon Edwards. Uh, I believe that Simon Edwards works with Ravi Zacharias Ministries that helped do the re- the Relevant McGill uh, Week this week. Let me read it to you. Uh, According to Jesus, evil originates in the heart of people. It doesn't originate in God. But didn't God make humans? Yes, but He didn't make evil. The Bible reaches, or the Bible teaches, that it came from us. We are responsible. Had God's creatures obeyed God, there would be no evil. No evil thoughts, no evil actions. And that's hard for us to comprehend. We're so conditioned to think of everything as predetermined that our natural instinct is to shift the blame to something other than us. Our genetics, our family, social conditioning, or if God created us, then God. The reality is, though, the Bible shows us that evil is on us. That God can create humanity without creating evil. God doesn't create robots. He creates people that he desires to respond to him in love and trust. But when we didn't, God is calling that evil. He's calling that evil. When we committed the first treason, we committed evil. You got to see this as well. The minute that... Um, the minute that we committed the first treason as as humanity, we tried to shirk the responsibility. We tried to blame God and his creation. It wasn't my fault that that I ate. It's like, dude, you got like pomegranate juice dripping down your neck. Like, no, 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 no. It was my wife, that woman that you left with me. By the way, guys, that's never a good way to lead. Never blame it. It's the woman. Like, no, at least call me by my name, right? It was the woman, and then so God goes to the woman, and she's like, no, 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 it was was the snake. It was the snake. It's his fault. We wanted to shirk responsibility right from the beginning because we don't like hearing that we're evil. You didn't wake up today like shoveling, like, can't wait for that little guy to tell me how evil I am, right? We don't like hearing that. But this is what Jesus tells us. So let's look at the arrival of evil, Genesis 3, 1 to 5, third chapter into the Bible. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. This is Satan. Again, I'll answer it next week. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is a brilliant argument, by the way. The serpent argues like a, like a Brit. Because when you're talking to someone from the UK, they always ask a question, don't they? It's like, yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. They, they always end it with a question, so you're forced to... Be responsible for making a response. It's like, I just wanted you to tell me something, not ask me a question. That would have been a beautiful statement. Don't ask, isn't it? At the end, don't add that. But this is what the enemy does. He takes this statement and makes it into the question. He makes us responsible so that we couldn't blame him, but we had to take responsibility. And his argument is this. God lied to you. God didn't give you the fine print details. Right? How many of you actually read the fine print? It's like, to get Apple Music, just click here. And it's like, no, did you read the four million pages? It's like, no, click here. Like, you just signed away your children, right? But you're just like, I can't wait to listen to Adele. Like, I don't know. But God lied. God lied. You can be so much more. In fact, you can be like God. Now, God made humanity like him in his image. But to... to exist under him, to exist under his rule and reign. But the promise was that you can be a sovereign replacement for God. You can be the captain of your own ship. You can be in charge of your own destiny. And by the way, other people can worship you. This is a loaded statement that Satan is bringing to the table. And when you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will know good and evil. Now, they already knew it was going to be evil if they ate that tree. But what Satan is getting at is that you will now be definers of what is good and evil. Like, you and God are going to pull up to the, you know, the G3 talk. It's going to be like God and Adam and Eve. Be like, well, what do we want to do with, with the world? God's like, you tricked me, you know? I had no idea I was going to have sovereign replacements. And it's like, we can outvote you now. He's like, oh, man, my hands are tied. What do I do? That's not, that's not what was actually happening. But in their minds, it's like, oh, this is going to be a great thing. We can now be definers of good and evil. But the reality is that they weren't missing anything. They weren't missing anything. I love streaming television that doesn't have ads. And I really love streaming children's television that doesn't have ads. Because here's what goes on. And I'll blame it on the kids, although it exists in us too. When, we're, when my kids are sitting watching something and it's like, you know, Dora the Explorer or whatever they're watching. They haven't watched that in a while, but they're watching some show and then all of a sudden like a pause happens and like the complete image changes, like their, their eyes open a little bit more and there's this product. It's like kids, your parents have been holding out on, on you your whole life because slime in a bucket With SpongeBob in the front is here. And and that little void inside of you, three year old child, that your blankie can't fill, like SpongeBob zoos, he's gonna and it comes out of his nose, like it's really cute. How it like? And then the kids are just like, I want that. I'm like, What are you gonna do with that? Like you have slime, you have kinetic scent like you have all this stuff. They're like, No, 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 no. That. What just happened? There was a void that was created inside my child that they didn't know existed and doesn't really exist. They're just believing that it does. This is what was going on in the garden. This is what was going on in the garden. Humanity only saw opportunity. They only saw opportunity. They didn't look at what they'd be losing if they took that opportunity. Here's what happens. It's like a, a, a husband going away on a, on a business trip, seeing a woman that he finds desirable and deciding that, you know what? She's, she's good looking. Uh, it's convenient. I'm going to go ahead and, and have this affair. Like, I'm going to do this. Without ever thinking about wife, kids, job, finances, and, and those things in a moment of great desire might not be strong enough to keep you from doing that thing, but you have to evaluate, what am I gonna lose by making this choice? Because it's a choice I'm gonna hold responsibility for. And humanity in the garden only saw the opportunity to be little gods. And so what happens is rationalization took over. If you ever are in a moment where you're like, mm, this could be really bad, Um, and you start rationalizing it, you're going to make it good. I guarantee. We're really good at rationalizing. Look at what happens in the garden. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Here's what happened real quick. Good for food. My belly's hungry, right? And that's going to... That's going to feed me. Now, I've never gone to this tree before. I've been fed by every other tree in the garden, but this is going to be good for food. You know, it's not that bad. Like one drink's not going to hurt me. One bite's not going to hurt me. It'll be okay. She begins rationalizing. She begins rationalizing. Secondly, it looks good. It looks good to the eyes. It's good marketing. It looks beautiful. God already said it was good. God already said it was beautiful. Right? So it's going to be good for my belly, it looks good, and I'm going to improve. I'm going to become gooder. I'm going to become the goodest in the world. I get that that was bad English, but this is a type of rationalization that sometimes gets in the way of good vocabulary actually being used. You see, we can rationalize whatever it is we want when we become untethered from objective truth when we find that we're just random little blobs floating around, grabbing onto whatever we feel like is true today, we can rationalize out our existence. You can go to the grave rationalizing every one of your decisions. But when there's a objective truth that you're staring at in the face and you're saying, I'm rejecting that objective truth to go after my rationalized idea here, this is evil. This is evil. There's always a rational justification to our to our actions. Well, I'm just stealing from the company because I can't afford thumb tax. It's like you can't, bro, you can't afford thumb tax. Like you have to take from the company. Well, I'm I'm stealing food for my family. Okay. Okay, but but you're still stealing. Right? There are things you could do to feed your family that are different. We we lie to protect. Well, I'm just protecting myself or protecting these people yeah, but you lied to do it. The ends justify the means, but only in our mind because we rationalize that out to be so. Or I'm doing this for everyone's good. Everyone's good becomes the end, but yet the way that you get to everyone's good is actually evil, so it's not good. You see, evil arrived because our hearts wanted to replace God with us. Evil arrived because we wanted to replace God with us. Us and we still do this. We still do this. Let's keep going. They knew and they felt evil when they when they sinned that day and rebelled. Look what happened. The eyes of both were opened. They knew they were naked. They were so and they sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loincloths. They were ashamed. Have you ever done something and you felt so ashamed, you just wanted to hide, get away from people. This is that same feeling that they're experiencing. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden like dad's home in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves. Mom and dad ever got home and you're like hiding in a closet because you broke the thing and you knew you weren't supposed to break the thing but you decided playing T-ball with it was a good idea. It's like, ah, so dumb. I can tell you lots of stories from my childhood that I'll refrain from right now. Uh, From the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? So they hid in shame. They were justified by blaming God and and blaming creation. And so here's the results. God delivers the results of their action. Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust, you shall return. God says, you're gonna die. You're gonna die. Now, death is separation of two things that are not supposed to be separated. When God said in Genesis 2, don't eat of the fruit of this tree because the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. It wasn't just like uh, you're gonna fall on the ground immediately. It was that there was gonna be separation that occurred. And this is a total separation. So spiritual, emotional, physical, everything was caught up in this. Psalms, were these are songs in the Bible called Psalms. Psalm 5 was written and it says, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evil doers. Here's the thing. We're finding out how did evil arrive? Well, we brought it and we keep doing it. And the Bible is telling us, well, God will not allow for evil doers to dwell in his presence. That humanity is separated from him Forever. Forever. We were made for him and now we're separated from him. So we have to rationalize out our existence for the rest of our lives, trying to answer questions that we struggle to actually answer and find satisfaction when we do get an answer. So what are we gonna do? As humanity, what are we gonna do? The third question, what can be done with evil? It must be destroyed. God says evil must be destroyed. So what can we do as objects of God's destruction? I thought you were going to encourage me today with this nice God that loves me and cares about me. Now I hear that I'm in God's scope for destruction. How is this good news? How can I make sense of life? God's just going to remove all the evil people, which is everyone. I want you to hear God's promise. Right after humanity rebelled against him, God made a a shocking promise that didn't depend on humanity. Genesis 3.15, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the snake, Satan. And between your offspring, evil, and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now this is what we would call the Proto-Ewangelion. The first mention of good news. That essentially evil is going to try to destroy humanity forever, but there's someone coming who's going to crush the head of evil forever. And it wasn't dependent on humanity. It was God saying, I am going to do this. And when that person comes... This is what he's gonna do. Ezekiel was a prophet sent by God to tell his people certain things. Ezekiel 36 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, him speaking for God, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, all your little gods. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my voice. God says, I'm gonna send someone to take care of this problem of evil and I'm gonna give you my heart. I'm gonna take out your heart of evil and I'm gonna give you a new heart. Evil was going to be removed, but how could we get that new heart? How can we get that new heart? Galatians, the book of the New Testament says this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, "Curses everyone who hanged on a tree. We broke the law of God. But Jesus came never breaking the law of God. He was perfect. And Jesus went like those 38 men who were hanged in 1862, Jesus went to the cross and he was hanged for you and for me. He died in our place, taking all of the offenses, the evil that we have done onto himself so that you and I could become good. This is nutso. Like this is crazy talk. If someone offered to pay off all your student debt, like that would be crazy talk. But we're talking about all the evil intentions and actions that you've ever done will do, we're taking care of. Jesus went to the cross to remove evil from your heart and give you a heart just like his. Paul says it a different way in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He says, for our sake, us, he made him, Jesus, to be sin." who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus takes evil on himself. Jesus is forsaken and hung in our place so that you and I could become right with God, so that we could have what we were actually made for. Do you know how evil you are? You don't. If you knew how evil you were, I'm sure you would have just stayed home this morning, right? We don't even see some of the ways that we're evil. We have blind spots. We don't get it. We don't see that our intentions are messed up, but Jesus does. And instead of staying away from you, he draws near to you to say, I I see how evil you are. And actually you're worse than you think you are. The apostle Paul said this at, at the end of this little text. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. The author of a lot of the New Testament in the Bible says I am the worst sinner of all. Why can Paul say that? Because he knows his heart. He's not comparing his heart to other people. And when you just look at yourself, you should be able to say with Paul, I too am the worst. But Jesus lived. He died and he rose for you, he became evil so that you could be called good. If you submit and bow a knee to Jesus and say, "Everything you did on the cross, that forgiveness, I want it. I need it today." You lose the title of orphan. No longer are you an orphan, searching, swimming around for the rational idea that you can latch onto. But today, you can be called a child of God, brought into His family. Today, you no longer need to walk around with wicked. Evil etched on your arm or in your ideas or on your heart. No longer do you need to walk under the label of rebel, ungodly sinner. Today you can walk as a beloved child of God who knows just how bad you are and runs at you anyway because he loves you that much. Jesus never came after good little religious kids doing religious studies. He came for the worst. He said, I can transform you. I can transform you. And it's not often until we see how bad we really are that we're willing to say, ah, I need you. It wasn't until I hit what I would call rock bottom in my life, and I went through a big crisis where I'm like, God, if you're real, I I want in. But if you're not, I'm going to have talked to myself at three in the morning, and this is just a funny night. And everything changed in that night. It felt like someone gave me a new heart, new mind, new desires. I wanted new things that I didn't want a few minutes before. That Jesus is a real person who enters in to your life, who gives you a new heart. And then when that happens, here's what happens. There's an enemy who wants to lie to you about who God is and who you are. You can't be a Christian. You did this. You slept with this many people. You used to do these types of drugs. You tried to kill a person one time. You did kill a person. You stole from all these people. You abused these people. All these things you did before Jesus. These things are going to be brought back to your mind often. Here's what Martin Luther says. Martin Luther was a reformer of the church in the 16th century. I think this quote's brilliant. He says, so when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit it. I deserve death and hell, what of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. Everything you're saying is true, Satan. Everything, I deserve it all. But the risen Christ left my death in the grave. And he's alive and active and moving, and he is transforming us. So lastly, how can we live? How can we live? I, I was a social worker before moving to Montreal and starting this church. And I worked with a, a kid named, named Chris, and I started working with him when he was nine years old. Oh, I love that kid. And I got to see him up till he was, he was 18, and he was much bigger than me, and still loved him, and great. But Chris was abused as a very young child. He was taken away from his family at a young age. Uh, He'd have to have supervised visits with with family, and I'd have to go and be there. He stayed at a home, and I worked at the home between 80 and 100 hours a week, so I knew Chris quite well. And Chris was found with his little brother. I think Chris was four or five. They were in the dumpster together trying to find food. And that was how they ate almost every day. There was a dumpster behind the housing complex where they lived, and they would go because they didn't have food at home, and so they would go and hop in the dumpster and eat whatever they could. So now Chris was living in the house that I was overseeing, working with him, really great. We fed him super well. Like, we had to talk about diets at one point. Like, an 11-year-old, you know, it gets weird. But we didn't want to talk about it too much because we knew the food issues. But man, every meal he had, like, seconds He had snacks. If he asked for food, we might give him, like, an apple instead of ho-hos. Like, we're trying to offer healthy options. But we didn't refrain from giving him food at all. But every week, I had this thing I would have to go and do. When he was at school, I'd have to go into his room and search for all the rotting food that he would put in his room. Because in his mind, it was like, when is this going to run out? I have to make sure I have a dumpster in my room that I can go to when the goodness runs out. And if he actually ate some of the food in his room, like bologna sandwiches that had been in there for like a month, right? You get pretty sick from that stuff. So we were loving him by removing some of the stuff. But here's the thing. Oftentimes we live just like Chris. We meet Jesus, we're brought in. To his family, we're we're called new, we're we're beloved. Everything changes. We meet him, but we can't imagine life without our past. We can't imagine life without getting by the way that we used to get by. I can't imagine life without lying or stealing or cheating or getting away with these things because that's how I got ahead and got my identity in this life. So how do we live? Now that we know that there's still evil things about us, but we have a new heart.